Take a kid who loves media, film, theater, TV, and basically all things pop culture. Combine that with a passion to reach others, share a really important message, and a very personal experience that has altered his life, and top it off with the fact that this kid is your son. You've got magic. At least I do. Wouldn't believe her. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Secrets of a Sober Mom. One of my favorite people on the planet is back talking with me today. My son, Max, is here to lend his voice, his mind, and his special heart to the podcast. He's going to be speaking about a play and some films and TV shows that have really touched him and inspired him to help destigmatize addiction. Hi, honey. Hello. I have returned. How are you? Uh, you know, I, I think I speak for just about everyone on this planet when I say that I've seen better days, but you know, things could be worse. And, uh, you know, I decided I've got some free time. Maybe I could come on and record another episode of this with you. And, you know, I, uh, I, when I listened back on the episode that I was on that I was on originally, I sounded like I had drank eight pitchers of coffee. I was, I was, (laughs) I I wanted another chance at talking at a speed at which people could actually understand. Uh, It's hard. It's hard. When I, when I first started doing this, um, I still make all the mistakes. I still, you know, I still have all the crazy filler words. My, my lip smacking got a little, got a little bit better but anyway well, anyway the key, to, the, the key is to not be too close to the microphone I'm, i have a few I'm a, I'm a good few inches away from the microphone right now that way there's not as, you won't hear as much pop psa for anyone listening um i recently finished working on a uh, secrets of a sober mom website and um it's pretty much done and uh, i'll be able to put the url in in the podcast twitter bio as well as like the Apple podcast bio. And basically you could, uh, you could just access every episode with a brief description of them. You can, you get some background info on both the host and the editor and all of the guests that have been on so far. It'll be updated every time a new guest comes on um, there. And there are also just a few resources you could uh, access if you are, you know, especially now, if you're if you have it if you feel you have a problem or someone else has a problem, there's a link. You, there's a hyperlink you could click on, which could which could uh, bring you to a page that gives you all these different hotlines you can call. And uh, so I just thought I would make that announcement while I'm here. So anyone who listens and wants to look at that website, um, it'll be a good way of keeping up to date with the podcast without you know having to scroll through the episode list every time. All right. Well, when it's totally complete, I will. It is. I mean, and also like this was originally a school project, but now that it's graded and I had to have the URL be like maxshapiro.com, now I could change that. So it actually is secrets of a sober mom.com. So like tomorrow I'll you'll be able to share that around. Okay, great. Um I love having your voice on and I love, you know, I love that you are involved in, you know, my journey and all my efforts to you know, share my message. And, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a crazy time. A lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to, you know, look back. And 
I think like everyone else, I was looking through tons of old photos from, you know, a very long time ago. Everything is digitized now, but we still have the albums because dad well, was- Well, believe it or not, dad actually, um, without, he'd been using his spare time by taking all of our old home videos from like, from like the day I was born all the way through like I was six. And he like posted them on YouTube. He was able to digitize them. I know, them. I know, but it's a private YouTube account. Not anyone yeah, could- um, Yes, yeah, so, could, sorry, could but, but no one could see my one-year-old butt <laughs> if they want to. <laughs> um. So, you know, when I was looking through all the old photo albums that dad, you know, meticulously put together, you know, and there's so many pictures of us, you know, before dad and I got married and before your birth. And, you know, um, I loved looking back at all the old photos of, you know, when I was pregnant with you and life just seemed so perfect back then, you know, at least for me. Um, it's amazing. You know, I, I drank like, a, I'm using air quotes, a normal person and, you know, all was good. We were a happy family enjoying life in every way. You know, I often think, you know, I don't know. I feel like I say this a lot, but I think, you know, maybe it would have been better if I got all of this shit out of the way you know, before you guys were born, you know, before dad and I started our life together. Well, you know, the thing you- is, I think, I think that, I think that starting a life together and starting a family is kind of, is kind of what triggered all this. You know, I don't, you, I don't like, if you had decided to just like, I don't know, stay a single woman for the rest of your life, for all you know, you know, you would have never, uh, you know, had to face these problems. And I'm not saying you never should have gotten married, but there are just certain environmental factors that kind of triggered. I mean, you always talked about how, you know, even before you were drinking alcoholically, you had a, uh, an, like an addictive person, like an alcoholic personality. You wanted more and more, you know, you, right. wanted, no, that's you, know, true. you wanted to live a lifestyle where you just, you know, spent all this money and yada, yada. That's and, true. uh, it's true. So, and maybe, and maybe if I, you know, if my life took a different path, maybe I wouldn't have become an alcoholic. But my point is, you know, you know, what if all of this happened, you know, before you were born, you know, you would know nothing but a sober mother, you know, and maybe the decisions I made, you know, I don't know, hon, it would have been different, but it didn't yeah. unfold that way. And I also think that, you know, on the other side of it, you know, maybe I had to lose you guys and I had to lose dad before I was really able to transform my life. And maybe it's not as bad as I think, you know, maybe you guys witnessing a success story and seeing a vulnerable mom, you know, wasn't so bad. Maybe it taught you things you would, you know, you wouldn't have learned if, I was sober when you got born. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda. I mean, it's 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 always you know tempting to think about you know what would have been different if I had done this instead of this. But uh, until they invent time travel, there's really not much you can do about that. So anyway, um, I think we're gonna. I think when I was on this, don't say gonna. <sighs> Excuse <laughs> me going to the last time I was on this uh, show 
I mentioned how we had uh, seen this Broadway show. It was um, it was called Jagged Little Pill. It was it's basically a musical uh, based off all the songs from from that singer whose name I can never pronounce. What the heck is her name? Alanis Morissette. Right, Alanis Morrison and uh, Morissette. Morissette. And basically, I said that talking about this play can pretty much be its own episode, and I think that's what I do now because. Um, I mean, I was able to draw more than a few parallels between our lives and the life of, of this family, uh, you know, that was in this play. And I mean, and, but, you know, the premise is, you know, there's this, you know, there's this run of the mill suburban mother who, you know, she goes the soul cycle. She writes on Facebook about how amazing her kids are doing in school and she makes her annual Christmas cards. And, you know, she kind of lives in this, in this white bread kind of town where, you know, there's, it's basically, and of course her big, she is addicted to painkillers. You know, she, she goes through a normal day and then she ends her day with walking into an alley and picking up her prescription painkillers, which her prescription expired, but she's still addicted to them for just from some street drug dealer. And like the play is just, you know, it, it is about addiction, but it's also Wait, kind hang of on, of- stop for a second, stop for a second. I'm just thinking back on it. I don't remember. Do they, do they say or show in the play, why she even started taking the painkillers? Yes, I remember. She, what um, happened? She got, Did she have an accident? Did yes, she... the main character, the mom, she got into a car crash and she was prescribed these painkillers. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, anyway, I, that's, that's typical, but I don't remember. I don't remember that. Okay, go ahead. What I was saying Sorry. is that the play is just, the play is just kind of like a wider commentary on like the general culture of suppression that these kind of, you know, these kind of upper scale towns have, because, you know, to a lot of people, something like alcoholism or opioid addiction or domestic abuse or, you know, sexual assault, all those things, those are, those are poor people problems and those are beneath us. And, you know, and we like to pretend that those things just can't happen in, you know, in Milburn, New Jersey, Scarsdale, New York, what have you. And, you know, and, you know, I've mentioned this in the last podcast. I don't love to, you know, rag on, you know, my hometown too much because I, you know, I'm well aware that there are a lot worse places that, you know, that I could be living. You know, the town, the town that I'm living in, you know, it's where I grew up. It's where I had all my, it's where I've made all my friends. But, you know, it is, you know, the reality is it is, it is an upper scale neighborhood in a country where, you know, um, wage gaps are only getting wider and you know there's a certain bubble that these people kind of live in and they think they're immune to certain problems that are really universal and you know obviously there was you know the mother i'm sorry do you feel that people in our town you know that's how they view that's how they view these these problems that are it could be you know that does not just go ahead i don't think people necessarily consciously think this they don't you know go through every day thinking you know isn't it great how you know, we live in a town where nobody ever, you know, drinks or has issues like domestic abuse. But it's just like when these kind of issues do come up, uh, there's a tendency to minimize them because, you know, we hear people, you know, we hear politicians talk about, you know, the gang violence in the ghettos and, you know, the Mexican drug dealers and the Islamic radical terrorists, if mm-hmm. you know who I'm talking about. But the thing is, you know, because obviously, you know, the main story of the play is that this mother, so basically, you know, she's going through 
you know, a bit of a difficult time in her life, but she's continuing to mask it through like kind of this social media persona and her annual virtual Facebook Christmas card or whatever she was talking about. You know, like her husband is a workaholic and has like a problem with watching too much porn all the time. And her son, you know, or later in the, uh, the later in the play, he gets kind of entangled in this situation with sexual assault where like where his friend basically rapes someone, you know, he's drunk at a party and, and, um, you know, there's this other female friend of his and they, and she basically passes out and he, he does something to her while she's asleep. And there's this whole thing. It's like, oh, you know, you don't, you know, I'm sure there are two sides to this story and she was probably asking for it. And, oh, she's probably just making it up because she wants, you know, to ruin this person's reputation, but, oh, he has such a promising future. And just this general culture of, you know, suppression of just issues that are universal to all humans, because, you know, having money and having status can certainly protect you from certain things, but there are other things that you just, that you just kind of can't, you know, escape from because, you know, you have no trouble that someone isn't, is, is a heroin addict if they're living on the streets and are, I don't know, unemployed. And, you know, especially for some people, you know, people of certain races come to mind when they think of drug addicts and they usually are not Caucasian, but like, and I'm not saying those kinds of people don't exist. They, they obviously do, but it just isn't true. And, you know, it's just, I just feel like, you know, the, the, the town that's kind of, that we see that this play takes place in is a good example of the kind of community where we try to kind of pretend that everything is part of the time. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you know, we're, it's just kind of part of the human experience. People go through difficult things and, you know, we shouldn't try to, you know, minimize these issues just because, oh, that would just never happen here. You know, whoever thought that that the United States would be a country where everyone has to take shelter in their homes and put on masks every time they want to fucking buy groceries. But, you know, some mm-hmm. things you just can't really control. And it's just important because this is a play. I think that just the, the story of this play helps kind of break down the stigma of of what, you know, these kinds of real issues look like. And and it's like, I just, th- that's why, you know, it kind of resonated with me so much because, you know, it's just the idea of, you know, not everything is how it looks. Just, be- um, just because, you know, you live in this nice town doesn't mean that you're immune to just, you know, to problems that are part of the human experience for many people. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Anyone can get into a car crash, get prescribed painkillers and become addicted. And that's just kind of the case with you. You know, you had a pretty good childhood. You know, you, you were not abused by your parents. You went to a good college. You, you know, you, I mean, yes, you got divorced, but you know, you still get along with your husband. You're not, you know, fighting with him all the time. You have three kids who, who look up to you and, but it's just, just something that happened with you. And, you know, it's part of a genetic, part of it's environmental, but it's just this, the first step of, of solving a problem is acknowledging that it exists. So it's just people who are living in these kind of communities just kind of have to realize that, you know, not, not everything is as perfect as it looks. The family that looks like they have everything might be struggling within. And, you know, and if you think someone has, is, is going through something, you should, you know, try to reach out, reach an arm out to them and, and give them and, and help them instead of this whole thing of just, oh, you know, just let them deal with this on their own. And, you know, right. don't get involved. It's just, I, I strongly disagree with that. I think that, you know, you have a certain moral obligation to, to help people, 
when when it's when it's clear that they need help you know like you know the son you know his whole thing was like is he going to testify against his friend for this you know and risk you know his harvard scholarship because you know his 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 friend's father you know has connections but no he went forward and he spoke out about this this sexual assault because there were just too many times of you know someone getting away with this because oh they have a promising future and it just you know it's like it's like no you know like you're not ruining this guy's future if you decided to commit you know a, a sexual crime like sorry but i don't really feel bad for you and you know this is you know this happened in real life with the whole you know brett kavanaugh situation and just in general you just hear story after story of you know a girl in college tries to you know come forward with this and it's just like you know oh you're exaggerating and you don't you know you don't know what you're talking about and you are wearing a really skippy outfit so you were asking for it you know you were putting your, right. you know it's your fault for drinking well, too much and I'm like yes and that's an important issue to discuss however yeah i'm getting a little off topic here and this is something i feel pretty passionate about but but no, but, no. but that's but that's still connected to alcoholism because because a lot of times these things are, are happen when people are under the influence of alcohol and, you know, which is, I mean, you know, obviously I am a 19 year old who is in college. So I have, I have drank before, but you know, it just, I try to, you know, keep that kind of thing at the back of my mind because, you know, if I ever, you know, lost control and did something like that to some girl, I would, I would never be able to forgive myself. I know. And it's just, yeah. And just, you know, but but that's just one part of the play. But the other part of the play is, you know, towards the end. If if you haven't seen this play and you want to, maybe maybe see it if you don't want spoilers because I'm kind of spoiling well, this. But... Unfortunately, Broadway. Well, is okay, well you know what I mean. Down. Well, yeah, no, okay, it was well. it was it was extraordinary. The music was extraordinary. The story was poignant and and um, real. And getting back to what you said about you know, um, you know, releasing the stigma, it's so important. And I, I talk about that a lot. And I think that was kind of like the impetus for me to, uh, start, you know, the podcast, because, you know, when I was going through all of that, I think, you know, certainly at the very beginning, when things started to spiral and my life started getting out of control, I intellectually, I think I knew that, you know, I was, I wasn't alcoholic and I was behaving alcoholically, but, you know, then there was that part of me that was like, but, you know, I can't be an alcoholic, you know, I'm a mom and I'm on the PTO and I'm on the board of this and, you know, I have a master's degree and, you know, I'm too smart to be an alcoholic. Like I, you know, and, um, but I was, but I was, and I got a DUI and I could have, you know, killed someone and I got arrested and, you know, my car was, you know, um, repossessed. um, repossessed and all of these things that you don't expect, you know, someone, you know, like myself to happen to, you know, it, it did. So, you know, I've said it a million times and I'll say it a million times more that, you know, addiction, you know, alcoholism in particular right now does not discriminate. It does not discriminate. Well, and, actually, statistics you know, show that people, people of, you know, who, who are of higher, you know, socioeconomic status actually more 
probably because you know they they have more money they they have more they yeah, have the ability to spend as much money out. on you know expensive champagnes right. and whatever so that kind of you know brings me into the other you know piece of entertainment i wanted to you know talk about which was the movie rocket man because i i was saw it in theaters i thought it was great i i don't know why taron egerton did not at least get a best actor uh nomination um, but then I recently rewatched it again with, with Luke and he thought it was great too. And it's just like, you know, it shows how yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure how he would feel about it. I'm really, I really wasn't sure. And I'm so, well, first of all, well, I'll tell you this much, you know, he, 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 he can't stop singing. I'm still standing in your song. I know. Well, you know how, what happens when he gets a song in his head. But, um, I, first of all, I was thrilled that he even wanted to see it because not because you know he doesn't i mean you know you guys love movies all genres of movies that wouldn't be one that i thought that he would gravitate to but i was really happy that he was open to seeing the film and he loved it he loved it yeah i mean it definitely isn't your run-of-the-mill biopic because it's, you know, we kind of like to put, you know, celebrities up on a pedestal and think they have like, you know, they, these people must have it all. They have these fans and they have, you know, all this money and all this fame. But, you know, you know, a lot of these celebrities, you know, kind of these these famous people, these icons, a lot of them, you know, there's, I think, you know, I, my, I forget who said this. It might have actually been Robin Williams, but, you know, you know, they, they, they try to make others happy because they can't make themselves happy. Because Elton John, you know, the story of this movie is basically that he's just kind of trying to find someone in his life who who loves him properly. Because, you know, his parents never really supported him. You know, he got into this, you know, affair with his manager, but he just ended up being really abusive. And, you know, he kind of, a wedge kind of was driven between him and his best friend as he, you know, got, you know, as he rose further up in his fame. And, you know, there's this one um, line um, in the towards the end of the movie, where he's like, um, "Real love is hard to come by, so you find other ways to cope." And his way of coping was, of course, you know, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of a lot of everything. You know, I, I know you always talk about that one scene, you know, where he, where he just takes those takes a whole bunch of pills and just downs them with some alcohol. I know that one particular scene really, you know, it really affected you. Oh, when he was on the diving board, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and it, it's just funny because like, and they how that scene goes is like, you know, it's him at his lowest point. He, he overdoses. He like, he's, 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 he's pulled out of the pool. He's sent to the hospital. And next thing you know, he's back on stage. Cause like, you yeah. know, he's got to put, he's, he's got to put his mask back on. Yeah. And um, it's just you know, the movie. He finally kind of confronts all of his issues and that, you know, he just, he just kind of, he's just, he's a, he's a guy who, uh, who just wants to be loved. And that's, that's the case with a lot of these actors, you know, Look at Robert Downey Jr. You know, he was, I know we all, you know, we, we all know and love him as Iron Man now. But before that point, he was at a pretty low point in his career and his life. He was like a washed up actor. He he was he was on a lot of different drugs and he, he spent some time in jail. And, you know, just all these, these because that's kind of what fame does to you. There's all this pressure, all these expectations that you have to kind of live up well, to. We know. And it really brings out your inner demons. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, and obviously Robin and Williams. Tons. And t the list is endless of unfortunately um celebrities who have succumbed to addiction and died um celebrities that over have overcome their addiction like 
Elton John, like, you know, recently Ben Affleck, you know, like Bruce Springsteen, like Billy Rob Joel. Lowe. Billy um, Joel was an alcoholic for a while. Billy, um, um, Billy and, Joel, and of course, but, yeah. And of course, and of course some, some are still active, but you know, yeah. that... You know, but- and and also like you know think about like Robin Williams you know like you know he's like just the happiest you know nicest guy in the whole world and you know and he I don't you think know, Robin Williams was an addict he had but he, he was had well, well I mean but he was very depressed because that right. that's he had that's men- just he was he had mental illness but he was yeah. not. Maybe he was. I don't think he was. Well, I, I don't know. But like the point is, you know, he's the last kind of person you would have suspected to, to be having these issues because he was, you know, his whole thing was making people laugh. He, you know, who, who would have thought that, you know, that Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, helpers on the way, Diddy, would, uh, would <laughs> be, you know, the one who, you know, has all these inner demons. But he just, you know, people like him push those things down and they make others happy because they feel that they themselves aren't happy. I mean, I mean, mom, you know, and just, and there were so many people who just, you never would have expected, like, you know, what was your reaction when you look on the news and saw that Anthony Bardane had killed himself? Oh, I, I was shocked. I was, I, I mean, I, I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked because, you know, I loved his book and I loved his restaurants and I loved, you know, his, you know, uh, TV shows, but I knew nothing about his personal life. And, um, you know, maybe people who knew him were not shocked because obviously he was deeply, deeply troubled. And um, and he was he hit his story with addiction is is really odd. He he you know, he was a heroin addict for many, many years and he stopped doing heroin, but he drank. So he was not, you know, a sober person. And I think you know, I think either, I mean, some people, you know, I had a guest on, you know, last week who felt, you know, if you could let go of one addiction that could kill you, but still, you know, maintain some man or maintain a normal manageable life by, you know, you could stop using heroin, but you could still drink that people can do that. You know, the jury is out. I, you know, maybe some people can, you know, people thought that Anthony Bourdain could, you know, he wasn't using drugs anymore, but he was drinking. And I think he drank a lot. I mean, from what I saw, you know, he, he drank a lot and, but he also suffered from depression. You know, not everyone who drinks or is a drug addict suffers from depression. Yeah, so, well, but still those two things often go hand in hand and they still, they, do. they both they kind do. of fall and they still kind of fall under the, uh, the, the wider, you know, mental illness umbrella where it's like, you know, these kind it's like, you know, for, for the longest time, it was just like, you know, oh, that person just crazy, just needs to cheer up. You know, for the longest time, mental illness was not being treated like a real thing because it's not something tangible like, you know, cancer or, you know, an AIDS. And, you know, it always just drives me up a wall when you hear, you know, certain people complain like, oh, these stupid millennials, you know, what, what happened to our youth? They have so much anxiety nowadays. Why is everyone so depressed now? And I'm like, you know, we did not, you know, this might shock you, but we, first of all, not a millennial, but we young people did not invent anxiety and we did not invent depression. The difference is that those things, oh, the difference is that when you grow up, people had to keep those things a secret. They kept them suppressed because no one took them seriously. You know, these kinds of mental illnesses and other issues like, you know, domestic abuse, sexual assault, you know, 
closeted homosexuality, all those kinds of things, you know, you think of like, you know, the, you know, the, the happy squeaky clean 1950s, like, no, these kinds of issues were always there beneath the surface, but no, but there was such, there was such a societal pressure to push all that stuff down and suck it up. And, you know, no one, no one is like suddenly just getting more depressed. It's just, it's simply that we're letting people acknowledge that these things exist and they are real problems and they can't just be solved by, you know, oh, just cheer up and, you know, stop being so sad because it goes deeper than that. Because as I said in the previous episode, something like depression, it's not feeling really sad. It's not feeling anything at all. I know that I, you know, made a connection to like to that movie Inside Out where, you know, the emotions are like, what ha- what's happening? We can't control Riley. We can't make her feel anything. You know, right. it's not about that's sadness. It's about feeling... Yeah basically right. dead inside. And that's right. what these people feel like, you know, towards the end of their lives. You know, someone like Robin Williams probably just felt that he was like a walking corpse and he just, you know, couldn't live with himself anymore. And he felt that he wanted to be put out of his misery because, and maybe he wouldn't have gone to that point if he felt that, if he felt comfortable enough to get help. But it's just, it's just sad that, you know, we still see people kind of, you know, saying, oh, you stu- stupid millennials and all of your stupid Zoloft pills. And I'm just like, you know what? Shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. Okay. Well, like you're right. Mental illness is not is not um accepted widely yet, you know, as a disease. And you know, like I said before, you know, often um depression and addiction go hand in hand. I did not, you know, nor do I now um have you know, depression. I, I never, I never suffered from depression. I did, however, which is very, very ubiquitous with um, addicts, particularly alcoholics, suffer from anxiety. And, you know, uh, surprisingly, I mean, maybe it's not so surprising. I always say it's inexplicable, but obviously it's, you know, there's a reason, but I suffered from anxiety most of my life, you know, debilitating panic attacks. You know, I, it's not the reason I drank, but often drank more when I was feeling anxious and certainly when I was having a panic attack because it calmed me down. But when I stopped drinking, my anxiety almost entirely disappeared. My panic attacks completely disappeared. I don't want to give myself a kunahara, but I, you know, I, I don't think I've had a panic attack in four years. So, um, you know, it's, you know, alcohol drinking with anxiety is like pouring gasoline on a fire for sure. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, when you, you know, drink, you know, I think I kind of said this many years ago, how, you know, kind of like when a person drinks their, 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 their deficiencies, their, their worst qualities kind of, you know, kind of, uh, become a little more prominent and, you know, other parts are just kind of, you know, downplayed. That's just kind of how it works. You know, be, when you drink, you're not necessarily turning into a different person. You're just kind of becoming a more exaggerated version of your, of, you know, of your worst qualities or, you know, or, you know, I guess, but some people could be their best qualities, but you know, when it comes to alcoholics, they are usually not a better version of themselves when they are under the influence. And, um, so yeah. And I, you know, I just, I just know that, you know, we need to kind of keep, you know, pushing this message that this kind of thing can happen to anyone, you know, because 
you know, the entertainment media definitely has gotten better with it, but you know, it's still, it could still do a little more to kind of really show that side of it. Cause like, I mean, take a show like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows of all time. It is, you know, it is world-class television, but the kinds of people you see taking drugs and selling drugs, well, aside from, aside from Walter White, but you know, like the, most of the characters you see taking drugs and selling drugs are the kinds of people you would expect, you know, from based on stereotypes to be taking drugs and selling drugs. You know, all the cartel guys, you know, they're all Mexican, you know, they're all, they're all, they're all shipping stuff over, over the Mexican border. And whenever you see a character using heroin, you know, they're all disheveled and they're wearing, they're wearing the beanies and they're all, you know, they're really skinny and they, and they look like they look all dirty. And it just, it's, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, that was, that was just the show. But like there never really was a scene where like you know Walter White has to make a make a meth delivery to you know to just to, to a regular old mom or dad or whatever. I don't know. Right. I just thought that would have that would have been something interesting to see. Right. Um, but you know, same thing with like with Better Call Saul. You know, he's getting entangled with all these drug cartels, and you know it's the same kind of you know they're all they're all of you know Mexican background. So you know they kind well, of well we don't the people that take drugs whether it's people, you know, the stereotypical junkies on the street corner or the suburban, you know, mother or dad, you know, we don't know where, we don't, we don't know where they, it's five steps before they start taking the drug. Yeah. You know, I, we well, don't know well, where still, the point is that, the point so is that I don't think that's a, I don't think the, that's, you know, um, a good analogy because. Well, the point is, well, but just my point was that, is that, you know, that, the, the people who are, who are, you know, selling drugs and making them, they're not always, you know, Mexicans who are here illegally. You know, they could, they, they, you know, it could be your neighbor. It could be your, uh, could be your teacher for all, for all, you know, um, like in Breaking Bad. That's, you know, when it comes to not only, you know, those who take drugs, but those who, who sell them, it's not always, not, nothing is as black and white as, as it seems. That's just kind of what you have to take away from all this. Right. But where do the teachers get the drugs? And then where does that person, I mean, eventually it leads back to the people that are smuggling it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, you know what I mean, but like, just, but, but yes, I understand what you mean. I, I understand what you mean. Um, but... And I, I, I love that, you know, you feel, you know, so passionate about stigma. I really, I really do. Um, and I mean, I just feel it's the least I can do because, you know, even if I myself, I'm not struggling with any kind of addiction, I just, you know, think that if I want to, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, not to, not to, you know, not to like, you know, make myself, not, not to try and make everyone feel bad for me, but I went through some pretty harsh things when you were drinking, especially being the oldest of the three siblings, I kind of had to, you know, be, be the surrogate parent at times. And I just want to have, I want to see as few people like me be put in that position again. And the best way to do that is to diffuse the issue before it gets as bad as it did with you. Right. You know, I'm just thinking out loud, you know, maybe there's a way that you could let, just like, you know, I have my podcast and I, you know, I, so many people reach out to me because I've been so, so open about my, um, my alcoholism but maybe there's a way that you could, you know, let people, children of alcoholics, you know, whether, you know, they're little kids or teenagers or, you know, whomever, you know, let them somehow, you know, re, you know, let them know that, 
you know, uh, there's a way to connect to these, you know. To well, you know, people. I did write that blog piece about a year ago, oh, and I, I shared it, and and, and I shared it on Facebook with with pretty much my entire no, grade. So did. you never you never know who who read that. You know, you, you know? did. You know, that's something that's something we could you know that we could discuss, but um, you know, I'm just um, I every day I know I say this all the time, and I'll you know you guys are. You know, you hear me say it all the time, how I live in gratitude every single day. And I am so happy that I am sober and that you guys have a sober mom now, especially during this, you know, precarious time in the world. And this, uh, you know, this shit show. I'm just, I am so happy I'm sober. Yep. That's, that's for sure. All right, hon. I am so happy once again, you lent your voice to the podcast and we will for sure do it again. And um, is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye for now? Well, uh, if I could uh, insert a, uh, a shameless plug, um, I am currently it. working on launching a YouTube channel. It is called Z Media. And um, Basically, you know, if you're a pop culture nerd like me who likes to hear people talk about things like television and gaming and film, that's kind of going to be what the channel is going to be about. Um, I'm working on my first video, which will hopefully be up sometime the next month. So if that's something you're interested in, maybe check it out. But uh, aside from that, that's pretty much all I have to say. All right. So it'll be a YouTube channel called Z Media. All right, so who knows what will happen in the next couple of months, but I'm glad that we're all together. I love you very, very much, and um, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to Max today. And hang in there. I know it's a tough, tough time, but we'll get through this together, and I'm always cheering for you. 